You've seen their TV shows. You've watched their webcasts. Now, the boys invite you to Poker in the Ears. Hello, my babies, and welcome to Poker in the Ears. I am Uncle Daddy Joe Stapleton. He is my work wife, James Hardigan. And at this point, I think it's important to lean on that old radio cliche and paint a picture with words. Dear listener, Joe does not look half as bad as I expected him to look. Kind of was imagining death warmed up. Not that bad. Just looks totally knackered. I don't look uh, half as bad as you uh, expected me to look, but I feel twice as bad as you expect me to feel. Uh, I am very surprised I I am alive. I think I'm alive. Uh, James, how long would it take you to get rework married? What does that even mean? Well, you're my work wife, right? You know yes. how like sometimes people are like a widow for the rest oh, of their lives. I feel. I see where <laughs> you're going with this. I don't not sympathize with your position, Joe. I have a flashback to about seven or eight years ago where I was not in a dissimilar situation to you as a freelancer just flying around the world doing gig after gig and you know live event after live event. But there reaches a point. You reach an age where it becomes tough. And I think you may have hit that wall. Well, the good slash bad news is they're not having me back at the World Series of Poker this year. So I at least have the month of July off. And I meant to ask you this. Uh, we got on, We have a podcast hiatus pretty soon, don't we? We do. We are off air from pretty much early June all the way through until mid-August. It's like an eight or nine week summer break. So, oh. yeah, you've got some time off, dude. Excellent. I'm going to use that hopefully for once. I never do, though. I never do. I always end up doing something fucking stupid and working. I've done the math and I've done poker commentary for around 16 straight days with at least 10 hours a day. So about 160 hours of poker commentary. One more day to go. At this point, are you not tempted to look up what the Guinness World Record is and see if you can break it? (laughs) Guinness has to give a fuck about something for there to be a record for it. Um, At first, I felt bad I was going to leave this event early. I'm leaving two days early. Um, And now I'm pretty happy about it. (laughs) I I am not guilty about this anymore. I texted both Daniel and Amanda this week to tell them how excited I am for their wedding. Uh, But I didn't tell them why. Like, I'm happy for them, but now I'm like, oh, thank God I'm going to their wedding and have to miss the last two days of this. Um, Not to say anything bad about this event. I'm just exhausted. I'm just, it is crazy. It's a lot of poker. I feel like I have nothing left to say. I've not had a chance to watch much, Joe, but what I've seen on social in terms of people discussing it, people are very much enjoying it. Yeah, it's a good time. So we'll uh, we'll talk about it a little bit coming up later in the show. Coming up on this week's show, uh, it'll be a Triton Super High Roller Week in Review. Uh, James, I don't know if you know this, but there's been a lot of money wagered here. No kidding. I mean, it's just Super High Roller event after Super High Roller event, right? Yeah, absolutely. There's been short deck, long deck, PLO, some clandestine cash games, and then there was the even more clandestine cash game. I'll tell you guys all about that stuff later on in our event recap. Oh, and you might have heard me get called out for my weird flex by uh, Brian Koppelman when I bragged about knowing Marley Cordero. Well, she is working this event as well. And here's another weird flex. I got her to get up at 10 o'clock in the morning to be a guest on this show. Boom.
Scoop 2019, that's officially started, my babies. We've got some scoop news coming up in just a minute. And this week's super fan is Reek Rudolph, a German living in Hong Kong. And he is going to try to outsmart me on the topic of Christopher Nolan's Inception. And here's a sneak peek at the questions, Joe. Question one, explain the concept of limbo in one sentence. I, um limbo is that from the movie the deep dream state that they go into like if you die in the dream if you die in the dream you die in real life no if you die in a dream you <laughs> normally wake up but because they're so heavily sedated they go right. into limbo that deep dream state which is pure subconscious oh yeah you just float forever or something right in, yeah in I'm, I'm getting the impression that you're going to do really badly in this quiz i think your memory of this movie may be pretty poor this was like right around when I started remembering movies not so well. So, yeah, but uh, I did really like the movie. Uh, anyway, moving on. <coughs> uh, spoiler time, guys. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know, but just to be safe, we got to talk Game of Thrones for Do we a have second. to? I have nothing really to add to what I said. That's not true. One thing I'll add to what we said last week, because I think that the latest episode suffered from exactly the same problems. We're racing towards the conclusion. No time has been spent on character development and plausible story arcs. And I absolutely love the direction they've taken Daenerys Targaryen, the fact that she yeah. is following in the footsteps of her father and has become the Mad Queen or the Queen of Ashes, whatever you want to call her, but the fact that it happened in half an episode and the fact that all it took for her to snap was for her interpreter to die, not plausible, not believable, I don't buy it. See, I don't have a problem with it, actually. I think that they've done plenty. I don't think it was half an episode. I think they've been slowly building toward this the signs have been there the signs have yeah. been there all along but it just didn't feel plausible i didn't buy into it i that just that exact moment of her snapping yes i will admit was a little forced didn't quite make sense um i am okay with the with the sort of explanation that look mental illness doesn't make sense so i, I did not have as many problems with this episode as i did with the one before it and if the one before it hadn't pissed me off so much, especially the whole dragon scorpion dynamic, yeah, um, I wouldn't have minded this episode at all. Um, but all of a sudden, the fact that the dragon can outmaneuver the scorpions and can fly behind them and can and absolutely like, is it just me or did the flame that come out of the dra came out of the dragons? It was like pretty weak uh, when it was fighting the army of the dead. And now it's literally exploding buildings. This is an issue. The dragons have been grossly inconsistent in their usefulness. They go from just absolutely destroying everything to being a non-player in the Battle of Winterfell. Um, I did feel that there was a lot of silliness along the way. I thought that the fight between Jamie Lannister and Euron Greyjoy was naff at best. I didn't buy into the whole Clegane showdown. Uh, there was oh, some... really? You didn't like no. Clegane Bowl? No. There were some great, there were some good moments along the way. But the one thing I wanted to add, because I stand by my assertion that the problems with the last two seasons have been mainly dictated by the lack of books and the fact that the writers are mainly working from a, a story treatment. But yeah. also, I think at the end of season six, this is apparently when HBO said to them both, we would love to get 10 full seasons out of this. And that's the point they turned around and said, we can finish this in 13 episodes. Is it a coincidence that that's the point that they had a multi-film offer from Lucasfilm on the table to work on Star Wars? 
And I no, wonder if yeah, absolutely a- not. They definitely had their eyes on doing something else is the only reason that you fin- how many people do you know? Everyone I know works in television, right? It's the same thing. They work on this amazing show and around season six, it's going really well. And they got offered a bunch of money to do more seasons. And they go, well, we really only kind of wanted to do seven seasons, but man, we can't turn those down this money. And then they end up doing nine. And then it's around nine that they're like, okay, you know what? Let's actually finish this up. Let's not destroy our legacy. And when someone bails out early, like around seasons and a show like this, that definitely could have and needed to go more seasons. Of course, it's because they want to go do something else. For sure. Uh, One last thing about Game of Thrones. If you haven't seen it, there are there are these clips out there of the actors reacting to questions about what they thought of the last season and what they thought of their last scenes. There's like people are making uh, little compilations of them. And in uh, with the knowledge of hindsight, they are hilarious and awkward. Go check them out. I haven't seen those. I'll have to take a look. Uh, We'll get to some social media stuff of our own in just a moment. Just want to quickly touch on Scoop. Not too much to report, to be honest with you, Joe, because we're only a couple of days in. I think we need to do a kind of mid-Scoop roundup on next week's podcast and then a proper Scoop in review the week after that. I think the key thing to say is that there was that hilarious moment on Sunday on the very first day of Scoop where Spraggy folded a set. um, Oh, man. Which is just... the, the. and his reaction just just makes it, if you haven't seen the clip already. Um, a couple of things to highlight. Lex narrowly missed out on the PLO final table. Uh, a French player called Julian Perouse, who was one of the Platinum Pass winners we were following at the PSPC, uh, he won uh, a scoop event. Uh, great to see success for him. Um, but yeah, it's still, you know, a handful of events played so far. 164,000 total entries, seven figures in prize money awarded so far. But yeah, we'll touch on Scoop properly uh, on next week's podcast. I did say that we would check in on some YouTube comments from the last couple of weeks. Uh, Three people I want to say hello to. Safoop, who says, I recently started getting into poker and I feel like this is the perfect place to get my poker news. Thanks, gentlemen. Cool. Safoopy, Safoopy. Uh, Club Mike V says, tuning into the podcast from Costa Rica for the next few weeks because Mike was getting ready for scoops. I hope you're enjoying the spring championship of online poker. Now it's underway. And finally, and this I like because Maritz is the first person to spot it. Maritz asks, why did James hold a pineapple at one point? And if you are an eagle-eyed watcher, the image changes. You may just think it's a static picture of me and Joe on that screen for the entire one hour and five minutes of the podcast. But weird stuff does occasionally happen if you do want to sit there and stare at the screen while listening to an audio show. So well done, Moritz. You were the first person to spot the pineapple Easter egg. Are there any others? I can't say. Ooh, I like it. Okay, Joe, let's hear about uh, how things have been going in Montenegro. And you're probably wondering, Joe, why did James select this piece of music? Well, as you yeah, know, yeah, it sounds like Flight of the Concords. I want to be like, oh, well, hey. I put a lot of time, effort, and energy 
into this podcast. So basically, I went to Audio Network and I typed in Montenegro, and this is the first thing that came up. <laughs> it's usually the way to do it. Anyway, I like it. I approve. Uh, it does sort of go along with the uh, the terrain. Montenegro is beautiful. It really is. Like you would, you know, just to look at a map, you would be like, yeah, yeah. and then you get off the plane and it is just really just gorgeous rolling hillsides and water and mountains and it is it is awesome uh, i mean that's at least it looked awesome from the car ride to the airport i haven't seen outside since then uh it's been a cool event some people we know are here howard swains from the blog team he is here wow Pete latham howard's reporting on scoop for the pokestars blog so clearly he's doing two jobs at once yeah, uh, Joe Joe Guyron is here, one of the uh, all-time great poker photographers and uh, just photographers in general. Pete Latham is here, uh, the guy that works on – he does a stand-up comedy with me. He also works on our EBT productions. Lee Davey is here. I was, like, afraid to talk to him. He, like, tried to sit with me, and I was like, uh, uh, are you going to put this in one of your articles? He actually – has been doing on-camera interviews, and I have to say I really like his on-camera interviews. I have not been a fan of some of his articles he's written in the past, but I really like the work he's doing here. Howard Swains told me this interesting story that I guess the world's most famous diamond smugglers live in Montenegro. <laughs> that is exactly the kind of fact, hashtag fun facts, that Howard Swains would bring to the table. Yeah, he told me this crazy story about how this reporter wanted to interview them. And so they had him come to this hotel in Montenegro and he had to sit in the room naked. And the smugglers came in the room, gave him clothes, put a sack over his head and drove him up into the mountains of Montenegro where he wow. was able to interview these diamond smugglers because apparently they really like publicity. Sorry, not smugglers, thieves, thieves, diamond themes, thieves, thieves. Uh, <laughs> it's been really my, my life sucks right now moving on one quick thing i saw a few people asking or wondering if this event is at the casino from casino royale because in that movie casino yeah. royale is in montenegro but as we know casino royale is a fictional b <laughs> the movie didn't go anywhere near montenegro it was all filmed in the czech republic so fictional casino in a fictional town in a fictional place uh so this venue is not the one that was in the film so the answer is yes by the way um yeah <laughs> i'm just waiting for the uh for that scene to go down so as we know high stakes poker tournaments don't really happen like they do in that movie they happen with a bunch of nerds and Chinese businessmen, Chinese and Malaysian businessmen. Are you telling me that there isn't an Asian businessman called Mr. Fuck You Too? <laughs> Wouldn't that be amazing if the, if they reshot the final scene of Casino Royale, but like with Steve O'Dwyer and Ike Haxton? Like, because that's really, if they found, they're like, look, there's a guy playing in the game and he's got a bunch of money from the British and US government and uh, <laughs> it's plus EV. We're just going to rebuy. Can you imagine if that's how it went down? So speaking of those guys, uh, there have been about eight or nine events already, a couple more to go. Some of the winners include Steve O'Dwyer, won $4 million, wow. Hong Kong. Bryn Kenny, who won $11 million, Hong Kong. And then later, $24 million, Hong Kong. Bryn Cash for like over $5 million while he was here. Just Winford you Very quickly, because yeah. I imagine yeah. that you're now across this. What's the rough Hong Kong dollar to US dollar conversion just it's to put like, in a currency that people can understand it's like uh, six and a half to one so when Bryn Kenny when I say he won 24 million Hong Kong that's like three and a half million dollars okay 
So no. it's still a considerable amount of money. It's uh, yeah, it is. It is a lot of money. Brin's cash for like over five million dollars. Win for you, uh, won an event here. Henrik Hecklin won an event here. Uh, Paul Pua has made two final tables in a row. He's never won a Triton Trophy, and he wants one really bad. He uh, finished second and third in the last two events. Is still alive in the event that's currently going on now. Lots of short deck, but the weird thing here is. So this guy named Rui Cow won the short deck million dollar buy-in main event for three point eight million U.S. dollars. Okay, that's a decent score. The next day, by the way, these events are two-day events. The, the this was a three-day event, the one that he won. I mean, literally, it, it, these are really short events. The next day, he's what's the average the- field size? I mean, are these like the super high rollers that we cover, where you're getting about maybe forty or fifty players? Less, fewer actual players, okay. and with re-entries, they're coming in around. I think, well, for the main events, I think there was a total of around eighty entries for the two main events. So it's about forty players, I'd say, total. So they're pretty small uh, fields, but some of the fields have been even fewer people because they're having like um, fifty total entries with like you know twenty something re-entries. So these are these are pretty small fields. Some of them. So when Rui Cal won the biggest field event, which was the million dollar short deck uh, with the most number of reentries, he won three point eight million. The next day he was on stream playing the two hundred and fifty K buy in. And he in passing mentioned I lost everything I won in the cash game last night. Now, I can't say for sure if that's true. I can't say for sure if he was joking. I'll say this. He didn't appear to be joking. And he didn't appear to be all that upset about it. I think that a $3.8 million swing is not that big of a swing in the cash games that are going on here. And this is the crazy part. So there's the regular cash games here. Then there's the secret cash game that is being filmed that Randy is going back and forth and doing commentary for. But then there's a secret, secret cash game. And there's like a boat outside that has like Andrew Robel and Bobby Baldwin and John Robert Bolandi and all these guys who aren't even Isildur. Here's Isildur is here, right? I've seen Isildur. He hasn't played one tournament. So whatever is going on here is so big that I, I JRB hasn't played a tournament. Bobby Baldwin hasn't played a tournament. Andrew Robel hasn't played a but tournament. But they're all in town playing in these private cash games that no one's supposed to know about. Yeah, well, I mean, people know about them, but no one really is invited to them. You know what I mean? Like, so Andrew was like, you should come. I ran into Andrew Robel and he was like, you should come check it out. And honestly, I was like scared. I was like, I'm good. I don't need to. No, thanks. So some wild, wild stuff's going on here. Wow. Anyway, <laughs> what we're doing is so my whole point is is that even though there's a lot of money being wagered in these tournaments, it is pales in comparison to what is going on behind closed doors here. Uh, if I can get any more information on that, I can. Being that it is my last night, if I get invited to go take a peek at the uh, the cash game situation, I will. It's entirely possible that Marley could shed some light on this, but I think that she has been working so much just like me that she hasn't really been hanging out and doing this stuff as well she does play pretty high stakes 
in America. So why not? Let's just let's have a chat with her. Let's see if she does anything. Yeah, because you've got Joe, David Tutman, Randy Liu, Marley Cordero, all members of the broadcast team out there in Montenegro. So we welcome another member of that team to the show right now. Marley Cordero, welcome to Poker in the Ears. Hi. Marley, what can you tell us about, uh, and if you're not comfortable, that's okay too, but I think one of the most interesting things about being here in Montenegro is the fact that there are these clandestine cash games going on that uh, that some of the players haven't even played any of the tournaments. Have you heard anything? What do you know about what's going on? I have not seen anything myself. Um, not not because I can't. I'm allowed to go up there. I've just been so tired. We, you know, you've been working... 10, 12-hour days, so I crash uh, at midnight. But um, I know they happened for sure one night. Um, I know Jungle was posting on his social media about it. Um, he was there. But, um, but yeah. You play pretty big yourself in Vegas, right? Yeah, only in the last six months, the big the nosebleed game. And what do you consider nosebleed? Uh, I mean, I guess... Like everything, probably like fifty and a hundred and bigger. But I've been playing three six um, recently. You're playing three hundred six hundred. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because for a moment there, I was going to chime in and said I've played three six, but literally three dollar six dollar. Yeah. No, it's been it's been a kind of surreal experience that I'm still mentally adjusting to. What was that like the first time you sat down at a three hundred six hundred, and what did you do to sort of lead up to that? Yeah, it was so crazy because it all kind of got thrown together so fast. Uh, I, I'm obviously backed for the game. I don't have you, you know, the min buy-in at the time was 50k, which is still not even 100 big blinds. So that's wow. super shallow. Uh, they just raised it to 100 last month, min. So um, yeah, obviously, I don't. Ha- you would need. I don't know what the appropriate bankroll would be, I would say, somewhere in the 5 to 10 million mark um, bankroll to play in that game. But, um, but yeah, it was crazy. I uh, I knew that they – I have a couple of friends playing the game. Matt Berkey uh, is a good friend of mine. He has been playing in it for, like, six years. And uh, literally just texted me one night being like, oh, hey, I could, like, get you a C. Do you have any interest in, like, playing? Because he had been talking about it loosely with me. He's like, do you have any interest in playing? Like, we actually have a seat open right right now. And I had a, the guy who now backs me, um, uh, I just texted him and was like, oh, hey, this seat open. He's like, just go. And I was playing actually 2-5 at the win. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and I picked, yeah, I literally picked up, like, wearing, I was literally wearing, like, I looked homeless because I was just playing 2-5, like, on a Tuesday night. And he's like, yeah, just go. And uh, he had given me like a bunch of money to keep in my Aria box. So I had money and I just uh, went over and played like a super short session, like maybe two hours made like, like 30 K, which is like 70 big blinds or something stupid. And I thought like, Oh my God, (laughs) I was like literally shitting myself. We were playing like five handed too. Um, Oh, wow. So like I was playing like every hand, I was going really quick. Luckily, Matt was there, and you know he was very. It was good to like have a friendly face, obviously. But um, 
Yeah, that was the first time. And then I uh, came back like three more times in the next couple of weeks. Um, played with them down in the Bahamas a little bit. And uh, yeah. So what would your backers say if you got invited to play in one of these games that's happening in Montenegro? Would Would there be a green light for that? Or have you guys not quite gotten to that point? Yeah, I mean, I wasn't actually sure if I would play any cash games here. I mean, I think that these games are actually even... I don't know what the stakes are. I, I've heard that. I think it's actually bigger than 3-6. Yeah, I would guess they're bigger. Yeah, I would assume. Yeah. I mean, 3-6 is pretty big. I've played as big as 500,000, but I don't know. It, it, it always depends on the lineup. It depends on whatever. But these games have been pretty tough, honestly. I think that, like, Jungle Man, and it's, like, all really tough players. So it just depends. But. So when you play 500,000, 300,000, it, has it sort of changed your outlook on life and the value of the dollar because like you know i know you you eat at kane's fried chicken <laughs> you live in an apartment that i assume is not more than like a couple of grand a month uh do you see this sort of money going back and forth and does it numb you to the cost of other things yeah i think that that's i think that's part of the trap of poker i mean i've been I feel like I've been, it's not like I went from not playing poker to right to that. And even when you're playing at the 510 or 1020 level, it's like, even then, you know, I've won and lost five figures, um, low five figures, you know, in a day all the time. So even I've been kind of, it's been an easing in process. So it's not, I think I've been in that state for so long, but I really try to think about it in terms of big blinds and in terms of what's normal variance. And uh, yeah, but the first time I lost a hundred K I was like sick to my stomach. No kidding. And yeah. I had like a reaction to it, but I don't know. It's, it's tough because it's just so much money and it is so life changing um, to win and lose that it's, it's still like, I don't know. I feel we need to do the whole kind of biopic thing here because we've started in present day. We've had working in Montenegro and playing in the high stakes cash games in Vegas. And now we have to have the inevitable flashback to the start of the story. Marley Cardero, where did you come from? Uh, Where did I come from? Uh, I grew up in Mass, right outside of Boston. Uh, Left when I was 18, went to school in New York and was in New York for six years. And uh, then moved here almost five years ago. Hold on, you're skipping a lot. What 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 went on in New York, Marley? <laughs> I I went to school, did two years of real university, studied marketing, and uh, dropped out. Went to two acting schools. Was an actor. I moved to New York to model. I modeled in in Boston, got an agent in New York, and went to school. Well, I just figured, you know, why the hell not get a Kid, kid in education um, and kind of just started doing more like commercials and uh, met my ex-boyfriend pretty soon after I moved there. He was a director. We made a couple short films together and uh, did some stand up there and was going to two acting schools at the same time after I dropped out of, after I dropped out of legit college and uh, it was kind of just like grinding everything i would write scripts i wrote i like wrote a bunch of shit i i just was kind of immersed in the 
creative space. Uh, my dad actually played poker for a living um, when I was growing up for full time for probably like five or six years. We lived in Vegas. I went to high school in Vegas freshman year. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I, I, when he was grinding, he ended up, you know, he left like a really good job, worked for Bo's in Boston uh, and was doing really well and moved to Vegas and he actually busted his role. We had to move back to Boston when I was like 14 and live with my grandparents. Man, that must have been so stressful. Yeah. I mean, literally like now that I know what it entails to play poker for a job, I literally, because he had no friends, no backers, nobody to help him. And he was a single parent. So, you know, it was a single parent and he, you know, he put me in the best school in Vegas and we lived in a nice area. So it's like he had super big overhead, super big responsibilities. And, um, yeah, I mean, I can't imagine the stress. He, he didn't show it at the time. I didn't really understand. I don't think the gravity of like what was going on. I knew like, you know, but I didn't really know. And, uh, yeah, when we moved back to Boston, you know, he was unemployed. We were super, super broke. And uh, we didn't even have a car. I remember he, like, walked. He literally walked to my high school for my, like, parent-teacher night because he didn't have a car. It was, like, the sweetest thing ever. Um, but, yeah, we were super broke. And, and at the time, I had just started modeling a little bit. And he was like, oh, do you want to do this seriously? So he took me to the city, Boston. I initially signed with this one agent, Click. And then quickly found out that the biggest and only agent in Boston was this agency called Maggie Inc. So I signed with them and just started doing a ton of work, like catalog stuff, like, you know. What can we find you in if we were, like, to want to try to dig some of this up? Sears? Sears. I worked with my biggest client in Boston. Bernie and Phil's? (laughs) Bernie and Phil's, that's funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, No, my biggest clients were Rula La. It's, like, this online retailer and uh, this company called Karma Loop. Um, and when I was in New York, I did like Maxim and stuff like, like Cosmo Maxim, like those Ah. kind of stuff. But, um, yeah, so I started doing that and then we, he got another job. Uh, he actually drove an airport limo for a little while and then got back into like legit, this is like in the heart of the recession. So it was very stressful. Got back to doing, um, he does SEO and stuff. So he did that for his company called Synergy. Yeah, and I graduated and I was like, oh, I'm going to go to New York. I just always knew I was going to go to New York. And that's how I ended up there. And then just kind of, uh, I think, you know, you can relate. You're you're, in, you're a comedian. But a lot of times, like, before people become comedians or actors, like, a lot of you try different things and you kind of do a little everything. And I'm, like, happy that I did that because they kind of – help each other out those skills and so when I turned 21 and I was able to play I always like play I knew how to play and uh you know whatever but it's like I had seen so much kind of shit with poker I saw him go broke and I've seen just kind of uh a lot of the shit early on that can happen so I was never like oh it's me my job I always loved playing but it was never a thing and um yeah so I 
went through like a really, really shitty time in New York. Uh, the same week I broke up with my boyfriend. We had been with for years and my mom committed suicide. So within the wow. same, yeah, it was just a brute. And then I kind of just went off the deep end a little bit. Emotionally, I was 22. Well, Vegas is the perfect place for people who are going off the deep end. Exactly. That's what I figured. I was like, God, how can I really amplify <laughs> being, let's go to Vegas. Um, yeah, luckily for me, it was never really like substances that are partying that I was doing. I was just kind of just like sulking and yeah, I got a waiting waitressing job and was just kind of like doing nothing. I was just like waiting tables, but, and playing poker once in a while and hang out and whatever. And I kind of just like was in that space for almost two years. Um, at one time I had two waiting jobs. I worked at Palazzo and Yellowtail at Bellagio. And so I was just making like good money, like just working and kind of just doing nothing. And I met my, um, I met my second boyfriend uh, who I met not long after I moved to Vegas and we, um, you know, got serious pretty quickly. I was with him for three and a half years. And, uh, of course, he played full-time. And all his friends played full-time. And he had moved here from Iowa with, like, a bunch of his, like, childhood best friends. And really, really, really good group of people. I was really lucky. Um, and just kind of was around it even more. And immersed in it even more. And... Literally one day I was just like, had a bad day at work and I just decided I was quitting my job. <laughs> I was like, all right, I'm quitting my job. Like I just was, I don't know. It was kind of an impulsive decision. Uh, so I did that. And, uh, one of his friends was like, I'll stake you, um, just for like super low stakes one, three. And, um, yeah, he basically like made me good at poker and he was really hard on me. He, we would talk every single day about poker. I would send him endless hand histories and his questions and whatever. And he was, and he, you know, I, I kept being like, oh, I want to play two five. That was the thing. He's like, I want to play two five. He like wouldn't let me, he wouldn't even let me play one three at the one. He was like, no, like you need to do X, Y, and Z, and then you can move up and, you know, make money, whatever. And I like broke even playing one three for like four or five months. I was super frustrated and broke. Um, luckily I lived with my ex and our friends. So I had pretty much no overhead or like, you know, things to worry about. So I could live off of like eating ramen and that's what I did. And, um, yeah, I just, we've like, all been there. Some of us are still there. I know. Seriously. Like it's kind of something that's kind of fun when you're in that, in that state, you're just like, well, Guess I'm chilling. Um, yeah, and then I talked about this on my vlog, actually. I made a vlog about this. But I had this, like, really um, – my boyfriend was struggling, too. And we were both just so broke. And we literally couldn't pay rent. It was just awful. And we had this, like, come to Jesus with our friends we lived with. It was their house. And they were basically, like, Marl's like, why are you playing poker? It's so dumb. You know, like Michael's got more earning potential than you. He's playing five ten. You know, you can make so much money in Vegas, like being like they told me to like go be a bottle girl or like you could deal or whatever. And I was just like 
so broken and upset by that conversation. I actually called, you know, a mutual friend of me and Joe's, Christy Arnett, who's a female poker player, and was, like, venting to her and being like, what the fuck? Like, I was very upset. And, uh, yeah, and then almost, like, overnight, I just started crushing. This was, like, right before the series, and I played, and I just, like, moved up very quickly through, like, different 2-5 games and into 5-10 within, like, and it was just, like, really quick. And... Yeah, something just like it snapped in me and I started crushing. And then I just grinded, grinded a 510 and some 1020 for a while. So, in summary, you need to be in a state of anger to be successful at poker. Yeah, for me, that's like what motivates me. I, I found that a lot of times when I like do good things, it's, it's after a, a state of like devastation or being very angry at the world. So now you've kind of come full circle of that, and you've got a real job. That is what's funny about it. Yeah, I've, I really have come full circle. So what do you think that you want? Do you want to be the freedom of the poker player, or do you like the path you're on now? You know, Obviously, you're here in Montenegro. You're presenting. If you could uh, choose to spend more of your time in these high-stakes games where you're backed or more of your time – on camera, being a, a YouTube uh, vlogger, uh, which, you know, what is it? What do you want? Yeah, I actually was, right before I got into the the big game, I was actually like, considering quitting poker because I was just like, uh, I'm just like grinding away here with these people, 510, which is like great and there's perks to it, you know, obviously you have freedom and whatever, but but it's always just like been a dream of mine to play high stakes at the highest, to play poker at the highest level, you know, there are very few women who do it. So that's kind of a motivation for me is to like do that. And it, it just, yeah, now that I'm like in this spot where I can do that and I, you know, I am also like playing big tournaments and kind of taking shots there. I've been really working on poker a lot. Um, and it, it is a thing, but like high, I like doing this kind of stuff. I love doing the commentary and the hosting and um, yeah, I just, it's good to have a balance. I think it's good to have a balance, but I also think that poker's not the kind of thing that you can do as like a side hobby. It's, like, it's all kind of all or nothing. So yeah, for sure. We, we, we all understand that entirely. And it's like, you know, it's like all the things you mentioned as well, acting and stand up. It's hard to do those things as a hobby. You really, have yeah. to commit to it. Uh, this is your, not your first time on camera, but also your first time on camera doing this particular job. You've got a very difficult job uh, doing mostly bust out interviews. Oh. How are you? Yeah. How are James? You've done it, right? I mean, yeah, it's the last thing anyone wants to do when they've been eliminated from a game of poker is talk about how they're feeling slash discuss the hand they were just eliminated on. Yeah. But what else do you ask, right? Well, yeah, I mean, like also in this in this particular job, I have no producer or anything, so it's just kind of like production telling me to chase after people when they bust and like sometimes I'm just being like no because I can visibly see well either that they just got third and they just played forever and like and I'm not approaching that person or I can just tell, like, on their face. But, yeah, it's the worst. And 
Luckily, this particular event is special because these people are just so uh, expert pros that it's just another event. Like they don't, I don't really think that they get tilted, but at the same time, it's a lot of money. So I don't know. It's just maybe yeah, that's, that's what we need to do. Maybe we need to redefine the exit interview. And Marley, maybe you could experiment <laughs> with this in Montenegro to be that kind of like persistent aggressive reporter who's like no you will do the interview and and take that kind of confrontational line of questioning you know allegedly you're one of the top 10 players in the world and yet you just bust in 40th place what's going on here like how do you call yourself a professional in this spot that would be hilarious yeah i mean (laughs) yeah like a professional got 40th out of 42 (laughs) (laughs) my god yeah i mean it's it's been a range you know luckily most people, I try to keep them short. It's not like I'm in there, you know, being like, but really break it down for me. Break that hand down. Like, what was that mistake you made? I'm not, I'm just, I'm keeping it, trying to keep it light. But I have fucked up a couple of times and just knowing the kind of questions to ask, what their mood is and like gauging, okay, like how, how much, how deep do you, do you want me to just ask you what you think about Georgia? Could you want me to ask you like, what's the secret to poker? And gauging who is just like kind of more open. <laughs> it's tough. It is very tough. Marley, you've gotten better by leaps and bounds. You really have. It's been a pleasure watching that growth and hopefully you get more opportunities in the future. Marley, part of the uh, part of the rite of passage of coming on this show is that you have to play one of my stupid games. Are you ready to play? I'm ready. All right. This game is called Marley and Me. And it's all about how various dogs died in movies. What? I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> uh, Marley, your Instagram handle, I think, is Mar- Marles Barkley. Is that right? Yes. Okay, that leads me to believe that you're no stranger to a pun. Yes. Okay, so this is a quiz about other famous Marleses. So I'm going to give you an example question. Now, this is the you'll know the answer already. That's why it's the example question. So all the questions are going to be formed like this. If you would have based your Instagram handle on the NBA Hall of Famer who spent most of his playing career with the Phoenix Suns before switching to on-camera pundit position, you would be called. Wait, what? It's basically oh. Marles Barkley, right? Joe, is the answer. Mar- Joe, before yeah. we did this interview, you were boasting yeah. off air about how proud you were of this quiz. Yeah, I was. Um, I, I'm not. I, I'm not feeling it, bro. But I'm. I'm willing to be convinced. I'm very. I'm very proud of this quiz. So it's basically. T- I'm gonna. I'm gonna lead you to putting Marles into other things like Marles Barkley. Okay. All right. And they're they're multiple choice, so don't worry. If you would have based, instead of Charles Barkley, if you would have based your Instagram handle on the Frenchman that led the resistance during World War II and also has an airport named after him, you would have named your Instagram Generalissimo Marlesisco Franco, Napoleon Marles Apart, Marles de Gaulle, or Marles Duke of Brittany. Napoleon? I don't know. Napoleon Marles Apart is incorrect. We're looking for Marles de Gaulle. Marles de Gaulle. Wait, what is that airport? That's in Paris. Oh, right, 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 right. Ugh. Sometimes it takes some warming up. Here we go. Question number two. And sometimes it's just a total and utter car crash. <laughs> if, you, 
if you would have based your Instagram handle on what you find inside of an oyster and used said account to post inspirational text, it would be called Marls of Wisdom, Fortune Marlsies, Tarot Marls, or the Four Marls Greements. Uh, the first one? Marls of Wisdom is correct. Joe, right. Pearls of Wisdom, Marls of Wisdom. It's not even a pun. Shut up, James. <laughs> Question number three. If you would have based your Instagram handle on the best line from the movie The Sandlot, would it oh. be called uh, for, yeah. for Ev Marls, For Ev Marls, <laughs> The Sultan of Swat, The Colossus of Clout, The Murderer of Marls, You Kissed Wendy Pepper Marls, or You're Killing Me Smarls? I don't know, the last one? You're Killing Me Smalls is correct. Yes. Question number four. How many of these are there? <laughs> there's there's seven. <laughs> there's always seven, James. Oh, that's great. If you would have based your Instagram handle on the 1990s MLB expansion team, you would have called it the Marlswalkie Brewers, the Florida Marlslands, the Seattle Marlslanders, or the Temple Marls Devil Marls. Uh, I know nothing about MLB, but I'm going to go with the Florida. The Florida Marlins is correct. Really? Yes. Yes. I told you, James. I mean, hooray for multiple choice is all I'm going to say. <laughs> yeah, I'd have no chance. Question number five. If you had based your Instagram handle on a delicious dessert style cream cheese, would it be Marlzapan? Marl Scapone, Marl Zolato, or Brie? <laughs> uh, second one? Marl Scapone is... I can't remember if it's correct or not. Marl Scapone is a dessert-style cream cheese, yes. That's the one, correct. Sorry, I confuse with Marl Zapan all the time. Yeah, I was thinking the same, too. I was like, it's, oh, is that it? No. <laughs> question number six. Penultimate question. If you had based your Instagram handle on the band that sings the song Kings and Queens, poker reference, you would have called yourself 30 Seconds to Marls, the Marls Volta, Bob Marlsley, or Har Marls Superstar. I have no fucking idea. Uh, it's not Bob. Is it Bob Marley? No. Number two? Number two, the Marls Volta was close. We were looking for 30 seconds to Marls, Jared uh, Leto's band. I have to confess, I kind of like that one. Okay, fine. Thank you, James. Thank you for your honesty. Final question. If you had based your Instagram handle on the fast food chain that sells the $6 burger, you would have called yourself Marls Donald's, Marls Burgers, Five Marlses, or Marls Jr.? Five Marleses? No, we were looking for Marles Jr. <laughs> How does five guys go into five Marleses? <laughs> Wait, Marles, Carl's Jr. is a $5 burger? No, it's called the $6 burger. Oh. It's the name of it. It's actually more like $7.50. But uh, yes, okay, Marley. Hang on, hang on, hang on. How can you have a burger 
that's called the six dollar burger that retails for seven fifty. I don't know, man. It's just it's been around for a long time. No one can afford to sell a burger for six dollars anymore. Anyway, Marley Cordero, thank you so much for being on the show. We'll see you on the floor a little bit later. All right, sounds good. Thanks, guys. Poker in the ears. Well, our thanks to Marley Cordero and Joe. Just before we bring on this week's super fan, shout out to a former super fan, Moyek, who requested a shout out. And I know your policy, Joe. I know we don't normally facilitate these requests, but Moyek is currently mid-season leader in the World Tavern Poker League and has qualified for the next tournament of champions in the autumn in Vegas, and he says, I would not have done that without you guys. So what percentage of his action can we ask for? <laughs> no, I will not say, great job, Moyek. Awesome. Good luck in the championships. I won't do it. Um, and there's one other tweet I wanted to highlight. Mark says, listen to your podcast. Great job, guys. I like your TV talk. What do you think about Killing Eve? Because haven't heard that one mentioned. And... We've mainly been talking about Game of Thrones in recent weeks, Joe. Uh, we also discussed Billions because we had Brian Copperman on the show a few weeks back. Uh, Killing Eve is a show that did very well at the BAFTAs. Is it a drama that you watched when it was on in the States? I've never seen it. I- I've heard it's great. And the problem is that because I'm gone so much, things that I can't download to my iPad are a real pain in the butt to use. Like I paid for a VPN just so I could watch game of thrones using my hbo account back at home but yeah i've heard killing eve is great and i it's definitely on my list i'm a fan of it very much looking forward to the second season as previously discussed on this show fleabag is incredible i think phoebe waller bridge is an amazing writer she's the exec and co-creator of this show she's going to be one of the writers on the new bond movie which makes me very excited uh but yeah i'd be interested to get your thoughts on that one joe uh right time to try and give away some satellite tickets One of them loves the EPT, knows it inside out, and would do anything for the European Poker Tour. The other one is Joe Stapleton. It's Superfan versus Stapes. Please welcome to the Poker in the Ears podcast, Reek Rudolph. For the second week running, we have a German Superfan, but Reek, you are not currently residing in Germany. No, I'm currently on my exchange semester in Hong Kong, which is going for, I think, three more weeks from now. So, oh, end no. of May. Hong Kong dollars, I've had enough. <laughs> Can't. Yeah. Oh. I've seen your, I've seen your streams. Oh my goodness, please, no more. That what? Did you do this on purpose, James? No, it was, I figured I had to find a super fan who was going to be in a time zone that worked for an early morning recording. And because Reek is actually several hours ahead of us, it's mid-afternoon in Hong Kong, and this worked out perfectly. Reek, tell me that you've been having fun in Hong Kong. It must be really cool, actually, to do basically what like a a semester abroad in Hong Kong. Yeah, exactly. It is amazing. I went here because I wanted to have a totally different experience compared to Germany. And... Hong Kong is just a crazy, vibrant city. It is so much fun here and people are great because the university is super international and exchange students are there from all over the world. So it is really, really cool here. And what are what? you actually studying? Uh, business. How, how many months do you still have to go? How many years do you still have to go on that course? Do you know yet what you're going to do with the rest of your life? 
I'm not really sure yet. I'll, I'll see afterwards. But when I get back to Germany, I have one more year, to, year of studies. And after that, I'll see. A lot of people that I know, when they go to Hong Kong, they sort of fall in love with it there and they get uh, business contacts and stuff. Do you think you might end up back there in your, you know, the, your career? I'm not sure yet. I'm totally open. I'll see where, where the road takes me. And have you managed to make it across Hong Kong Harbor to Macau at all to possibly play some pokers? I have made it across to Macau. I haven't played there. Because Why? Because I you're was... not a Chinese billionaire? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Limits are a bit too high for a student there. Yeah, I hear that the cash games play pretty, pretty big. So what is your poker story otherwise? Um, I started playing for the first time around... I think August of last year. Oh, wow. So, so you're I'm a relative not, newbie. I've not playing for a long time yet. And it's just a lot of fun, but I'm like, I'd say I'm a decent player and I always try to improve, but I'm not there yet where I want to be. So Well, you got a long way to go if you want to be the best player in Germany. Uh, totally discover poker uh, a little over a year ago or under a year ago. What, uh, what brought you to the game? It was actually uh, Felix Schneiders. Um, I watched his hey, streams, cool. and it was a lot of fun with him. And we have a great poker community in Germany. Uh, Shout-outs to the complete community. Um, they probably listen to this podcast as well. I hope so. And it is a lot of fun with them always. We have these poker trainings, always try to improve together. And, yeah, that's basically what brought me into poker. Fantastic. Well, we hopefully will give you the chance to attend one of our live events because you are playing for EPT Open Madrid satellite tickets. And yes, I use the word plural. Paul Stefan was a bit confused when he received two tickets last week, but that's how generous we are. <laughs> give you two opportunities to satellite your way to the next EPT event. I'm really pleased with your selection of specialist subject, Reek. The Christopher Nolan movie Inception. Do you know who else was thrilled? Patrick, because he now has, and I quote, a new favorite movie. Oh, oh man, this is... It this is, is amazing. It is my favorite movie for probably the better part of seven or eight years. Since I watched it the first time, it was just amazing. And the, the interesting part about Inception was, like, the first three times I watched the movie, I always got something new out of it because it's so complex in itself so i guess it would be a good choice if i watched it multiple times already so uh look i, I really like your first of all story totally checks out that this would be patrick's favorite movie second of all uh, i really like your chances here because not only have i not seen inception in seven or eight years but i don't think i've had a dream <laughs> in seven or eight years because i haven't slept in seven or eight years. I literally haven't been asleep since I've seen this movie. Oh, poor I guess John. Montenegro is treating you well. <laughs> I'm so tired. So I am thrilled that we're going to get to discuss this movie and answer some questions about it. In my humble opinion, it should have won Best Picture for 2010. Oh, uh, wow. Does anyone actually remember the King's Speech? No, didn't think so. Uh, Reek, you get the to go first. Do I actually even need to ask the question, which would you like first? I'm not sure. 
Oh, he's thinking about it. Surely it is always coming seven. Yeah, I'm German. I have to take this. You have to. You have to. Uh, Question seven. And remember, if you don't take the multiple choice options, two points available. Why does Saito insist on coming on the mission? Who is Saito? Um, I can do that without the options. It is because otherwise he can't be sure if the inception was really completed. Correct for two points. And Joe, the fact that you asked that question means you are doomed to fail. <laughs> Fucked. Uh, but, but, but let's just pick a question. Let's see how it works out. Question number one. Even though Arthur is skeptical, why is Cobb so confident that inception is possible? Arthur is skeptical. Why is... I need the choices. Is it because his father-in-law told him it was possible? He'd done it before on Arthur. He'd done it before on Mal. He was lying to Arthur because he just wanted to get home to his kids. He had done it before on Mal. Correct, for one point. All right, that's it. I'm good, everybody. (sighs) Okay, second question, Reek. Seven and one have gone. I'll take the number three. Number three. What is the only word Fisher is able to make out before his father dies? Without um, options, again, it is disappointed. Correct. For two (laughs) points. And there is a bonus question. And if you don't know the answer to this one, Joe, you might be able to steal. Which BBC slash Netflix TV show stars the actors who play Fisher and Eames? Oh, I have no idea. Joe, Damn. you can steal for a point. Broadchurch. Incorrect. Peaky Blinders. Killian uh, Murphy and Tom I Hardy. I watched that yet. Is it good? It is very, it's very good. good. I should I should have known that. I just forgot they were in the movie. That's that's a good question. Damn it. The fact that you don't even know who's in this film means you are fucked. Okay, Joe, what question would you like next? I like how Reek is like uh, without the without the choices. Um, <laughs> He's just, like, announcing it. Uh, I'll take question number two. Question number two. Why can't Cobb design the dreams himself? Uh, I know he needs... What's-her-face to do it. Why can't he do it? Why can't he do it himself? Um, uh, Because you... Hang on, hang on. on. You sure you don't want to take the options? Fine, I'll take the options. Is it because his projection of Mal would ruin things? Fisher has worked with Cobb before and would recognize his designs. He's not a very good architect, or he has a limited imagination. Oh, man. So I was going to say without the choices, what was what was option C? C is that he's not a very good architect. See, I was going to say that without the choices, but... I guess since I took the choices, I'll go with his projection of Mal will mess it up. Correct, for one point. Uh, Reek, you have a 4-2 lead, and questions 4, 5, 6, 8, 9, and 10 are all available. Then I'll take the 10. Question number 10. What is the name of the third team member in the first heist? So it's Cobb, Arthur, and... Nash. Correct, for two points. (laughs) And there is a bonus question attached. Who plays Nash? Damn it. I know the face, but I'm bad with actor names. Joe, you can steal. 
Let me think about who else is in this movie. There's no way you're going to get it. There's no way I'm going to get it. No, it's Lucas Haas, who was the kid in Witness. Um, wow. Lucas Haas plays poker, by the way. Well, let's get him on the show. Talk about Inception. Four, five, six, eight, or nine, Joe? Four, please. Question number four. Which chess piece does Ariadne choose for her totem? I feel like taking the choices isn't really going to help me here. I agree. Um, well, the queen is the most obvious one. But I don't remember it being the queen. I, I think it's a pawn. Incorrect. And as the options have not gone, you can steal, Reek. It is the bishop. It is the bishop for two points. And nice it's your one, question. Reek. Five, six, eight, or nine. Let's take the five. What is the name of Cobb's daughter? Philippa. Correct, for two points. Wow. Yeah, you have a 10-2 lead. Joe, it's your question. <laughs> Penultimate question. Six, eight, or nine? I'd rather get shellacked than lose by one. Uh, six. What does Yusuf have in the basement of his shop? An EMP. Would you like the options? I'll take the options. Does he have a huge supply of sedatives, people dream sharing, crates full of guns, or cats? People dream sharing. Correct for one point. Let's try and get he also I like has the an, cats, though. He also has an EMP in the corner. I don't know if you guys noticed yeah, or not. Yeah, but keep, I, I got it from watching the director commentary. I don't yeah, know if you guys keep, have seen keep it. Keep telling yourself that. Uh, final question, Reek. Eight or nine? Let's take the nine. According to Christopher Nolan, which Bond movie influenced the look of the third dream layer set at a secure complex in the snow? I think I need the options for that one. Okay. Is it, for your eyes only, The Spy Who Loved Me, On Her Majesty's Secret Service, or The World Is Not Enough? What was option B again? The Spy Who Loved Me. I think it's The Spy Who Loved Me. Incorrect. It is Christopher Nolan's favorite Bond movie, On Her Majesty's Secret Service. Joe, the final question is question number eight. What is the purpose of music in the dreams? God, this feels like it should be so obvious, and I can't remember. Hold on, let me just think for a second. I'm this should be to a gimme to anyone who's actually seen the film. The purpose of music in the dreams. Go on, I'll take the choices. It reminds them they're dreaming. It makes them relax. It alerts them that the kick is coming. It confuses the victim. The kick is coming. Correct for one point, and there is a bonus question. Let's see, Joe, if we can get you to five whole points. All right. Which music artist does the team use for the kick? Annie Lennox, Sweet Dreams. Is that a joke? Or do you actually think that music track was used in the film? They're made of the years. Who am I to disagree? Reek, put him out of his misery, please. Can I steal? Yes, you I can. I think it's Hans Zimmer. It is not Hans Zimmer, it is Edith Piaf, who, hashtag fun fact, was played by Marion Cotillard in the biopic of that artist. Anywho, it doesn't matter. The final score is four points to Joe, ten points to Reek, and that does mean that you have won 
this week's edition of Superfan vs. Staped. You get those uh, EPT Open Madrid satellite tickets. Do you know what, John? I'm going to round you up to five for that awesome impersonation of Hans Zimmer's score. Uh, and, Rick, <laughs> you're also going to get some PokerStars merchandise as well. Thank you very much for coming on the show, and congrats. Perfect. Thank you very much, guys. Awesome stuff, Rick. Good work, buddy. All right, my babies, we are almost out of time for this week's show. Next time, the event recap is going to be the poker wedding of the century. Has there ever been a poker wedding that will have received as much attention as this one? I don't think so. I'm trying to rack my brain. Yeah, I don't. I mean, this one could have been a a reality TV wedding, honestly. I don't know if that's an insult or a compliment. Anyway, moving on. I might be dead. I seriously am getting off the plane, going straight to a hotel in my own hometown and getting changed because I don't have time to go home and then get back out to the wedding and getting changed and going to Daniel's wedding. And it's been a real long time since I've been able to have some fun. So I'm going to be a complete fucking idiot at Daniel's wedding. I will recap that next time. Scoop News. We will uh, bring you some of the winners and or interesting stories from Scoop next week. In the meantime, subscribe, like, comment, smash those buttons. I've heard you're supposed to say smash. Superfan applications, ideas for guests. Use the hashtag poker in the ears. That's on Twitter, my babies. For now, for James Hardigan, I am Joe Stapleton. Smell you later. Smell you later.